I don't know if you did any uh, binging this weekend, but I know that a lot of people trying to consume the latest um, Netflix um, episodes of The Crown. Uh, I watched a BBC show over the weekend. I binged that. It's like I love the BBC um, episodic streaming shows because they're about five episodes. London Spy. I thought it was really good. I mean, it's not for everybody, but I thought it was it was a good streamer. Right now, the streaming services are warring it out for what? Your eyes and your dollars. Netflix has 54% of Ontario homes uh, with a subscription. Others are Amazon Prime, Hulu, uh, Disney, Apple, HBO, NBC, CBS. All of these uh, services are going to be vying for your dollars. And Duncan Stewart, Director of Research for Technology, Media and Telecom for Deloitte Canada, wrote a great piece in the Toronto Star, and I thought we should focus on it. It's all about how Toronto is uh, making some serious money from all the production we do here uh, for streaming services like Netflix and Hulu. Welcome to the show, Duncan. Good to have you on. Thanks, Kelly. Glad to be here. Give us an idea of how much money we're talking here with productions. $42 billion. Wow. Yeah, I just thought I'd cut to the chase on that one. So to put that in context, back in 2012, which is kind of before Netflix and everybody else really got crazy on spending on content, the total spending in the U.S. Uh, for, for, for TV and movies was $60 billion. So you're looking at almost as much, again, just from the streaming entrance. And it's like, a, it's like a glass that's like almost full already, and then you try dumping another bottle into it. Where is all that wine or champagne or whatever else it is going to go? It's going to spill into other glasses. Uh, and that's essentially what Toronto is. Basically, New York and L.A. are full. So the money's coming here. And have we taken the, the title away of Hollywood North from Vancouver? Uh, it's close. We, we, I mean, I, I actually grew up in Vancouver, and I, but I've lived in Toronto longer, so I'm a man of divided loyalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, a, it's more or less a tie. Toronto is currently a bit bigger, but there are years in which, in which Vancouver's bigger, and it goes back and forth. But right now, at about $2 billion in production in, in 2019, uh, that could go up with all this streaming money to somewhere around, in my estimate, 2.5 to 2.6 over a couple of years. That should put us well out in front of, uh, in front of Vancouver. Yeah, Duncan, I'm the exact opposite. So I'm a Toronto girl and I spent a lot of time out in Vancouver. So I kind of look at both of them as my home as well. And when I was out there in the late 90s, it was definitely booming as far as uh, production goes. But right, it was traditional production. We weren't talking about the streaming services. So the war's on right now. What are the streaming services um, facing as far as competition with each other? Well, this is the thing, and this is a point I actually wasn't able to address in my in my my column, but I want I can do it right now because we've got a minute. Everybody keeps talking about, oh, well, who's going to win of these five, six, seven major streaming players? Which one is going to, pun intended, take the crown? And and my answer is, I think it's going to be more than one. It may even be all of them. Look, wow. Let me walk you through the math on that. So that's not so much a Canadian thing as a U.S. thing. I mean, no offense to Canada, and I love it here, but but the average American spends about $110 a month on traditional cable television. Uh, that's not including internet service. That's just for the TV portion. Now, some people are canceling that cable or, or dialing it back to a cheaper package, and if you think about that, and they put up an antenna, uh, there's about 
40 million Americans who watch Antenna TV, which is free, right? 30, 40 channels for free. So if you think about it that way, Americans, those ones who have cut the cord, 40 million or, or whatever it is now, um, have the ability to save 110 bucks on one hand. So how many different simultaneous over-the-top streaming services can they afford? Well, the answer looks like to me five or six. But what what about subscription uh, fatigue? Because you do bring that up in your article, aren't they a little bit worried about that? I mean, even if you don't have, if you're not using it, aren't you going to look at it and go, "Ugh, I I haven't used this in a while," or are you just going to forget about it because it's only eight bucks a month? Totally. Our Deloitte research in the States talks about subscription fatigue. Absolutely, this is a thing. Every consumer we talk to, not every, many consumers we talk to say, oh, I, I only want one or two packages, and, and I don't want more, and it's complicated, and it gets too expensive, and I don't want to do that. What I'm pushing back on a little, uh, I'm actually arguing with, with my own research, is I'm not sure. I think subscription fatigue might turn out to be a smaller issue than we thought, especially for those people who have stopped paying for traditional cable. Because if you free up 110 bucks on one hand, that gives gives you a lot more room for more than a single streaming solution. Which means that these uh, streaming um, uh, platforms are going to survive, which means more dollars will come into Toronto. When I'm hearing uh, from your uh, star column and, you know, what I read was that they, these shows are incredibly competitive. And as far as Netflix goes, they've had a 30 percent pricing in escalation in um, in production you know, and, and the money they put into production since last year. Actually, Why is that? That that quote was from uh, Ted Sarandos, who's the head of uh, content there. He actually said it wasn't just their shows. He is seeing in the overall film and production economy a 30% price escalation over the last year. That's not just for Netflix. Everybody's paying more, whether that's other streaming services like mm-hmm. Amazon or Apple or whoever, or the traditional uh, TV producers. Uh, basically, a, a rising tide is lifting all boats, and everybody's got to spend more. Why? Uh, uh, stars are earning a million bucks, not per season, per episode. Wow. Uh, shows with production budgets of 10 to 20 million, once again, not per season, per episode. Shooting days are going up. Locations are full. Prices are up. Even literally, even people writing scripts and putting on makeup and doing the lighting are making more money than they did a year ago. Can we blame this on ourselves? I mean, we are a more choosy audience now, aren't we? We're, we're demanding better production. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at the sort of standard, I mean, you said uh, you were not watching The Crown, but I have friends who were. Oh, no, I mean, I haven't started yet, but I will. <laughs> on Trust your list. On the, it's on there. The list. But when you look at the production values of something like that, something like a Game of Thrones, something like The Mandalorian, these are the sorts of things that, that five years ago would have been high-budget movies, let alone television. So, yes, we, we expect the, the best scripts, best acting, but also the production values are going through the roof. You know what's killing me about these uh, services now, the streaming services, Duncan, is they know they have us and they want to keep us. So they're starting to release shows, not so that it's bingeable, like the whole season at once. But Mandalorian on Apple TV or on, um, ooh, Disney would be really upset with me, on the Disney uh, Plus uh, streaming uh, service, they're apparently releasing them per week. So you got to tune in like traditional TV. Of course, it's not, you know, at a certain time, but it's still appointment based. 
Absolutely. Well, the reason for that, of course, is what they don't want is somebody to binge and watch all the episodes in a month and then cancel. What we're going to see is the biggest metric that we've talked about up until now in these streaming services is how many subscribers do you have and how much are they paying per month. Going forward, one of the big ones is going to be churn. How many how many customers are dropping off each month or each quarter and then you have to get them back with more shows. From the perspective of the streaming services, they want your money for 12 months a year, not just one month of binging and then 11 months of watching somebody else. But aren't they risking the fact that we might get frustrated with that? We don't want to view the same way we used to. So we've gotten used to this idea of binging shows. And if you're not going to uh, allow us to binge on a streaming platform, isn't it very easy for us to go, well, there's another one over there? That is a, it's a tension, right? You want, you, want people, you want people to binge, but you also don't want them binging only. So what I would guess is we are probably going to see a mix of content. So some of the content that you really, really want to watch is still going to be bingeable. Others will be released episodically every week, every month, every whatever it was. I mean, Game of Thrones did the same thing, and that seemed to have worked out pretty well, right? You know, the episodes came out when they came out, and everybody watched them on the, on the day they came out. So that model is, is not gone away. Way, I think it's going to be a mix of binge half the content right. and then appointment or schedule the other half. I mean, the great news about this is that Toronto is doing really well as far as production goes. And you brought that up. And, and it's all about the $2 billion Canadian that we brought in in, in 2016. The production has only increased, so we'll see a higher number uh, when we get those in. But let's talk about very quickly, if we could, before um, we run out of time, why Toronto is so attractive behind L.A. and New York. Uh, well, we've been big. We've been big for years. Low dollar doesn't hurt. There, there's film and tax credits, which help, uh, although those are probably only a, everybody offers film and tax credits around the world. So that's probably not a big differentiator. You know what I think is the big one? And I've been looking at this is, is the global footprint. When we look at a Netflix or an Amazon uh, or a Disney going forward, uh, Apple, I guess, as well, they really want their content to go international. So uh, Toronto, uh, a really diverse a uh, bunch of people in front of the camera, voices behind the camera, script writers. You want accents. You want different color, skin-looking people, diverse neighborhoods. Toronto's an unusually good place. Still North American, so you can make it here and sell it in Sweden and Singapore. What does this mean for surrounding communities around uh, Toronto? When I say Toronto, I mean I mean the Golden Horseshoe. This this we could shoot in Hamilton uh, or Oakville or Oshawa just as well. Amazing. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time, Duncan. It's a pleasure talking to you. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. Duncan Stewart, Director of Research for Technology, Media and Telecom at Deloitte Canada. It's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.